Alternative Radio. Hello there, folks, and thank you for listening to the show. I'm Joanna. I'm Nate, and this is Stranger Than. Today we have a episode filled with spookiness. We've got more Bridgewater Triangle stuff, this time about haunted what-have-yous, and I've got some haunted stuff to talk about as well. So how about we start with uh, an article about haunted stuff? It's called Quarantining with a Ghost. It's scary. Oh. This is from the New York Times, dated 5-14-2020. For those who believe they're locked down with spectral roommates, the pandemic has been less isolating than they bargained for. It started with the front door. Adrian Gomez lives with his partner in Los Angeles, where, the, where their first few days of sheltering in place for the coronavirus pandemic proved uneventful. They worked remotely, baked, took a two-mile walk each morning, and refinished their porcelain kitchen sink. But then, one night, the doorknob began to rattle vigorously, so loud he could hear it from across the apartment, yet no one was there. In mid-April, Mr. Gomez was in bed when a nearby window shade began shaking against the window frame so intensely, despite the fact that the window was closed. An adjacent window shade remained perfectly still, and the cats were all accounted for and no bug, nor bird, nor any other small creature had gotten stuck there. That, Mr. Gomez thought, it was an earthquake. I very seriously hid myself under the comforter, like you see in horror movies, because it really did freak me out, he said. Now, though neither he nor his partner noticed any unexplained activity at home before this, the couple can distinctly make out footsteps above their heads. No one lives above them. I'm a fairly rational person, said Mr. Gomez, who is 26 and works in IT support. I tried to think, what are the reasonable, tangible things that could be causing this? But when I don't have those answers, I start to think maybe something else is going on. They're not alone, possibly in more ways than one. For those whose experience of self-isolation involves what they believe to be a ghost, their days are punctuated not just by Zoom meetings or homeschooling, but by disembodied voices shadowy figures, misbehaving electronics, invisible cats cozying up on couches, caresses from hands that aren't there, and even, in some cases, to borrow the technical parlance of Ghostbusters, free-floating, full-torso, vaporous apparitions. Some of these people are frightened, of course. Others say they just appreciate the company. There is no scientific evidence for the existence of ghosts, a fact that has little bearing on our collective enthusiasm for them. According to a 2019 YouGov survey, 45% of U.S. adults believe in ghosts. In 2009, the Pew Research Center found that 18% of Americans believe themselves to have seen or otherwise encountered one. Before stay-at-home restrictions in New York, Patrick Hines, 42, left Manhattan with his husband and daughter to spend six weeks in an adorable cottage in western Massachusetts that they rented on Airbnb. One night, Mr. Hines woke up around 3 a.m thirsty for a glass of water. He said he walked into the kitchen and saw a white man in his 50s wearing a well-worn World War II-era military uniform and cap sitting at the table. It seemed normal in the split second before I realized, wait, what's happening? And as I turned to look, he was gone, said Mr. Hins, who is the host of the podcast True Crime Obsessed. It didn't feel menacing at all. It almost didn't even occur to me to tell my husband the next morning. 
If you were to accept the premise that ghosts are real, it stands to reason that some tension would naturally result once their flesh and blood roommates start spending much, much more time at home together. John E.L. Tenney, who describes himself as a paranormal researcher and is a former host of the TV show Ghost Stalkers, estimates that he received two to five reports of a haunted house each month in 2019. Lately, it's more like five to ten in a week. Mr. Tenney has seen something like this before. In 1999, immediately before Y2K, he witnessed a spike in reported ghost and poltergeist activity as well as UFO sightings, which in his experience are also on the rise at, in this moment. It does seem to have something to do with our heightened state of anxiety or hypervigilance, he said. Mr. Tinney has no doubt that the vast majority of these cases in his inbox are completely explainable in nature. When the sun, com when the sun comes up and the house starts to warm up, they're usually at work. They're not used to hearing the bricks pop and the wood expand, he said. It's not that the house wasn't making these sounds, they just never had the time to notice it. Or did they? Janie Cohen believes she's been haunted since college. The ghost she calls Matthew, a good biblical name, chosen in hopes it would keep him on his best behavior, explained Mrs. Cohen, who is 26. <laughs> Has historically made his presence known in her Nashville home through the sounds of someone running up and down the staircase at night. The noises are not like a house settling, or like our cat walking around, said her husband, Will Cohen, a 31-year-old accountant. It's very clearly out to get attention. Around the same time the couple began to, began to self-isolate in March, Mr. Cohen started to use their guest bathroom so that his wife, a home health nurse who has been picking up more night shifts during the pandemic, could sleep in without the sounds of his morning routine disturbing her. He has found that Matthew, who both spouses agree prefers Mrs. Cohen, doesn't seem to appreciate these changes. On three separate occasions while showering in the guest bath, Mr. Cohen has been unexpectedly blasted with cold water. But it wasn't just a quirk of the plumbing. Every time he said he reached out to find that the hot water nozzle had been turned off. Madison Hill, 24, is riding out the pandemic with her boyfriend in her apartment in Florence, Italy. Miss Hill, a writer and a teacher originally from Charlotte, North Carolina, had always had her suspicions about her home, particularly the bathroom. There was a sense that someone was watching her, doors slamming, towels inexplicably on the floor. A few weeks into quarantine, she woke up to find something on her nightstand that did not belong there. It was a camera lens, one she'd brought from the United States, but lost when she moved in. She had long since given up on finding it, but here it is. Oh, so it was a helpful ghost. Yeah. Since then, other small objects, including a set of keys, have moved to strange new places inside her apartment. The reappearance of the camera lens in particular struck her as a mischievous, playful gesture. Perhaps even a thoughtful suggestion that this could be the perfect time for Ms. Hill, who majored in, in film in college, to pick her old hobby back up. <laughs> Carrie Dunlap shares a one-bedroom apartment in the Ridgewood neighborhood of Queens with his girlfriend, Alexandra Cole. Mr. Dunlap, a 31-year-old teacher, rapper, and concert promoter, believes he first met their resident ghost last summer. He saw her in the bathroom in the middle of the night wearing green scrubs, standing an arm's length away from him. She appeared to be glowing. The woman, the woman vanished when he turned on the light. Mr. Dunlap knew that one of the friends the couple is subleasing from had spotted a ghost in the apartment. Both agreed they'd seen an older Asian woman of small stature. Mr. Dunlap and Miss Cole, a 27-year-old writer and editor, used to find themselves in a routine, late-night tug-of-war over the too-small comforter they shared. 
Several weeks ago, Mr. Dunlap woke late at night to the sensation of what he assumed was Miss Cole adjusting the blanket at his feet to spread it evenly across the bed. When the movement stopped and he didn't feel his girlfriend climbing to bed beside him, he, he called out to her. She didn't answer. Ah, oh, that freaked me out. Then she came back in from the bathroom. Oh, no. It was so weird, dude, Mr. Dunlap said. It was so weird. But the incident left him and Miss Cole with a lingering positive impression, like whoever or whatever it was had been trying to make the couple feel more comfortable or to mediate a potential conflict between them before it happened. That's an interesting take on it. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, noises uh, are scary enough at times. Um, and then the objects... But when they're fucking pulling blankets around and shit. Uh, yeah, when they're like fucking touching you, like making physical contact with you. Like, no, thank you. That made, That just made me think of... Like the grudge, like when she feels yeah. like like that, that that one scene. Oh my gosh, that's yeah, like terrifying. That's, no that's all I could think about. Like at the foot of the bed, like you got that fucking grudge ghost chick down there. Oh yeah, no don't thanks. want that. Don't no, want that. no. But you know, she was remediating conflict. That's cool. Yes. <laughs> Kurt Gray, an associate professor at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill studies how we perceive and treat the minds of other entities, including animals, machines, and the dead. Times of great unease or malaise when there is an increased drive to find a meaning in chaos can lend themselves to perceived hauntings, he said. Not to mention that disease itself shares certain psychological parallels with a malevolent spirit, creeping invisibly upon its unsuspecting victims. This phenomenon could also be a side effect of the loneliness of our time, in quarantine, you are physically confined and also psychologically confined. Your world narrows, Mr. Gray said. You're trapped at home. You're needing human contact. It's comforting to think that there's a supernatural agent here with you. For Danielle, a 39-year-old lawyer, isolation predates this pandemic. The Times agreed not to use her last name to protect her professional reputation. She has been recovering at her home in Richmond, British Columbia, since contracting an unrelated serious illness over the winter. She first experienced strange activity in February, she said, when she kept walking into her guest bedroom to find a particular lamp turned on, although she had no memory of leaving it that way. This happened again and again and again, until on a whim, she said aloud, don't turn that back on. The next time she entered the room, she found the ceiling light, which she never ever switches on, blazing. On more than one occasion, she has heard the voice of a man and woman having a conversation she couldn't quite make out. More recently, she was sewing face masks in the same bedroom. She had exactly enough fabric left to make one more mask. But when she turned briefly away from the ironing board where she'd just pressed the double cotton gauze, the two remaining, remaining pieces disappeared. It was gone, Danielle said. Like in a 20-second period, gone. I went and checked the garbage pail, nothing. Checked the recycling, nothing. My fabric stash, nothing. I tore the house apart looking for these two pieces of fabric and they have never come back. Danielle describes herself as a highly social person, someone whose friends and family had worried about how she'd fare cooped up all by herself. This kind of feels like someone popping by to cheer me up, to, or keep tabs, or make sure that I'm not feeling alone, she said. If the idea of a paranormal entity can provide someone a little bit of social sustenance to help them endure their solitude, Mr. Gray said, then great. At least as long as the ghost isn't advising his haunties to go into emergency rooms without a mask, and French kiss everybody, he said. Are you troubled by strange noises in the middle of the night? 
Do you experience feelings of dread in your basement or attic? Don't panic, Mr. Tenney said, the ghost doctor's host. Take careful notes on what you observe. You may find a rational explanation for your fears. What if the strange noise at 2.50 p.m. every weekday is the UPS truck clattering by? But Mr. Tenney also offers this. One could argue that the ghost puttering around in your kitchen is not only there, but that she's always been there. Maybe what's, maybe you're what's changed. Or maybe you're listening more closely in the greater quiet all around us. Perhaps we're just now starting to notice the world is a little bit weirder than we gave it credit for, he said. I'm not surprised, Peter. There's more people, you know, having hauntings and shit when they're at home all the time. I mean, less so now, but that was, you know, ball deep in the middle oh, yeah. of lockdown that oh, that man. article came out. Those were some shitty times. Yeah. So why don't we carry on with some more ghost speak, Joanna, in All the right. ever creepy Bridgewater <laughs> Triangle. Well, this episode, I'm going to be talking about some haunted places within the Bridgewater Triangle and a little backstory on some of them. The first one is one of the best known legends and probably one of the most. Um, I'm not going to say like fantastical, but but the one where there's very few um, actual stories coming from an actual person that they actually experience it. This is this is one like legend says. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There is a. Redheaded hitchhiker who walks the roads of Route 44 and He's usually wearing a red flannel shirt and either blue jeans or blue overalls. And at times he seems like he's like hitchhiking and people will pull up to the car and he will disappear as soon as he goes to get into the car. So they'll pull over and he'll they'll pull run over. the car and go to go to open the door and then just poof, yeah, gone. and then poof, he's gone. Uh, other times they have um, reported just seeing him on the side of the road, but just his reflection in the windshield. Like when they like pull over and, and unroll a window, there's there's nothing there. And another person reported it as like almost where he was like on like like hey like you know you're going to pull out your car and somebody like just hops on the hood of your car. It's like that, but you can see right through him. Oh right. Yeah. So not much else is uh, he doesn't really do anything other than just appear and disappear along the side of the road. Always the same guy. Always the, that redheaded, you know, kind of trucker look about him. Just waste a little bit of your time, you know? Yep. Yep. <laughs> At most, he might pull over and then be like, what the hell? But yeah, other than that, uh, a harmless spirit that I can't, there's countless versions of when he comes and when he doesn't. They even have like kind of like a Candyman thing where, you know, if you drive out to the end of this one road and you turn your uh, lights off and on again, uh, he will show up. Does he do anything different when he shows up there or does he still just No, like... he's just like, he's just there, like standing there. That's, I mean, yeah. that's pretty harmless. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. It's fine. It's all right. <laughs> not not hurting anyone. No, I hope not. I mean, it's not like, and then he pulls out a hook and kills the shit out of you. <laughs> yeah, that that would be like not so cool of an experience. No. Well, now we're gonna talk. Go back to 
one of our favorite places, the Freetown State Forest, where there is a certain ledge. There was a there was a quarry, and it's not used anymore, but it, it's filled with water now. So you know, like a big rock quarry, like a big fucking just sheet of like face of rock, like dug out, like super deep, so that it like forms a ledge. And uh, when you walk out to this ledge, apparently the, there's, this ledge is not only haunted by the apparition of a woman who appears at the ledge from time to time, uh, sometimes jumping off the ledge and then disappearing before she hits the water so that no sound is ever made. Huh. Uh, there's also some accounts of people committing suicide there and falling off of there with a, you know, like it seems to like happen frequently. (laughs) Shall we say like they need to put a rail up there or something. Yeah. And you know, there's actually no signs there that tell people not to jump off because people have been swimming and accidentally, well, not accidentally jumped off, but hurt themselves like really badly because they jumped off and it was not a good idea the the cliff is about like 80 feet up and the water is 20 to 40 feet deep down below but yeah it's just not safe to do uh back on june 15 2020 a 19 year old a man had like jumped from the ledge when he was swimming with friends and he had to be like airlifted off to his ho- off to the hospital. Oh, he man. actually had like no pulse and wasn't breathing when his friends pulled him out. So he jumped into the water off of the ledge and then he floated to the surface uh not breathing and without a pulse. They started performing CPR on him, and then he was um, airlifted to a local hospital. So they did manage to revive him, fortunately, but I couldn't really find it. water? Um, I don't know. I don't know what the because, deal is. I mean, I know around here, like, uh, you know, in, in June, it was at the end of, it was, it happened a long time ago. It was when, I, you know, the year I graduated high school, or maybe it was a year before that. Something like, it doesn't matter. But, uh, you know, it was June. And everyone went to where people jump off the bridge at the Tolt River, and a bunch of the kids jumped off the bridge. And something people done tons of times is one of the yeah. guys just jumped off with his t-shirt and jeans on and got into that water, and it was just so cold, it, like, fucking set him into shock or something right away. And someone had yeah. to swim out there and save his, his ass, otherwise he would have fucking drowned. And he didn't, like, lose consciousness, and he didn't, uh, you know, need CPR or anything because, you know, it was obvious what was happening fast enough, and someone thought fast enough that it was, you know... He was rescued without without a hitch, but I mean, it was it was something else. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what it is that that causes this because people have accidentally fallen off the ledge and also died from it. I mean, I don't know if this guy died for sure or not, but he wasn't. He was pretty close to it when he floated to the surface after jumping. So in two thousand one, a twenty four year old man. Uh, was trying to climb down the face of the uh, ledge, and he fell and died. And then in 2007, a 32-year-old man uh, fell to his death while he was, like, emptying some gasoline. I don't know if he was, like, pouring it into the water, like, over the edge of the cliff or what, but... Yeah. 
And then there was... Just <laughs> emptying gasoline. It's like, no, it's just what we do. Yeah, now the, the place is called Assonet Ledge. A-S-S-O-N-E-T. Or maybe it's a sonnet. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Assonet or a sonnet. He killed himself he just jumped off and apparently i don't know maybe it wasn't over the water part of it or what um i'm not quite sure the picture i have is like it looks like kind of like a lake and then there's like this big long ledge up on top of it but maybe he wasn't like on a for whatever reason it was clear that he was doing this not to just jump into the water and, and have some fun and mistake <laughs> that it could be deadly. Uh, but he, he leapt to his death as what it says. And it was in front of his friends and his girlfriend. And he had no wow. prior history of depression or ever expressed any suicidal thoughts. Just went for it for some reason. So there's been a lot of reports and these deaths that people have people who haven't jumped off or fallen off or whatever have said that when they're in the area they have like a weird compulsion to jump off of it so it might yeah so it's it's odd in that way that it it seems to have an unusually high number of uh, suicides and accidental deaths by people either falling off or jumping off of this particular ledge and then people saying that they have like a weird urge to jump off it when they've been in an air in the area. That's very strange. Now, does it have to do anything to do with like the woman that allegedly haunts it there? Who knows? Is it something else? Not sure. Uh, it's interesting because it's like the, you know, the puckwudgies, how apparently that's a, one of the things that they might do to you is make you jump off a cliff. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's one of their like special powers is that they can compel you to jump off cliffs. So, is it a uh, you know mischievous, mean little puckwudgie? <laughs> yeah, that's I think that goes on mischievous. It, it goes so, a little bit beyond it, mischievous. It goes I'd a little say. bit into malevolence. Uh, yes, <laughs> that's that's probably a more appropriate word for it. <laughs> yeah, I just want to say mischievous because they're so like cute looking in general, but maybe this one is like just super mean and. Whatever. You're like, oh, you're leaning over? I'm just going to give you a little push. Maybe there's just too much change that happened, and they were just like just pissed off at everyone who comes up there. It's not the, not the same as it used to be, and they just don't like it. Yeah, who knows? Well, there is a lot of graffiti up there. If you climb to the top of it, like all over the, the ledge, there's, um, there's spray paint graffiti. It's not actually terrible looking, but there a guy has a, a blog spot about, like, you know, haunted places in the Northeast. And so he was posting about the Freetown State Forest. And that was like one of the the comments on his blog spot where he had pictures of the of a, a sonnet ledge. And they were like, oh, the graffiti, it makes me so sad. Which, yeah, I get it. But it depends on like when it's just like, you know, spray painted like fucking bullshit or whatever. It's but if you know if it's like you know, if it's done it's well, kinda like it's, 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 it's kind of well done. And then it covers the, the, the ground there in front of the ledge. So I don't know. It's, it's kind of one of those, uh, that graffiti that doesn't look that bad, like not quite graffiti art level. Oh, okay. I see. But, uh, but not, still like, like, you know, working up to that. Yeah. Not just, you know, random spray painted, stupid, like 
gang names or whatever. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Those damn teenagers be spraying. Damned hooligans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to read some other stuff off of this guy's blog because uh, he's just talking about, like, his trip to the Freetown State Forest. And, of course, he went to the ledge um, and looked into all the, the weird goings-on there. But he also revealed something I did I hadn't yet known about the Freetown State Forest. Now, according to his blog site, uh, he says, immediately after parking the path, we were led on uh, through a grove of pine trees that had died from some type of infestation. Off in the distance, we could hear gunshots from a firing range. I don't find either dead trees or random gunfire relaxing. I find them unnerving. Well, yeah, I would too. The walk to the ledge just got more unsettling as we went along. There were creaking trees, lots and lots of them. Eventually, the creaking gave way to trees that moaned and banged against each other in the wind. Weird. Yes. And then I read some of the stuff that was posted on his blog. And before I'm just keep on quoting off of it, this guy's name is uh, Peter Muse, I guess. He's out of Boston, Massachusetts. He is the author of Witches and Warlocks of Massachusetts and Legends and Lore of the North Shore. And his blog spot is New England Folklore dot blogspot.com so there were a couple of postings to his blog blog post about the freetown state forest that i found rather fascinating so i'm going to read you the first user uh, was just anonymous and they said i live within less than a quarter mile from the assonant ledge and can tell you that there have been a number of tragedies not widely broadcast so as not to draw in the morbid and curious suicides accidents not to mention the devil worshipers damn devil worshipers <laughs> And then it goes to uh, parentheses and says to read a book called Mortal Remains about the coven wannabes that practice on the ledge area. And parentheses. Our woods scream. Yes, they literally scream at times. It's a weird sound. The only two ghosts the residents of the town of Assinet see with any regularity are that are what we believe to be poor little Mary Lou Aruda. So I talked about her in the last episode when I was talking about those weird, like, cult murders and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Mary Lou Aruda was the one that was killed, not by Drew Peterson, but this other guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, She was tied to a tree in the forest and left to die in the early 1980s. You can hear her crying out there. And a young lady killed on Copacut Road near where the dirt road turnout to the ledges located on a foggy night she was run off the road on the curves of Copacoat road and hit a tree if you were at the ledge you tr- likely drove Copacoat road and saw how narrow and snake like it snake like it is probably about 1986 or 1987 we see these on a not frequent but more than occasional basis not frequent, but more than occasional. Yeah, I love how she put that. Not frequent, but more than occasional. And Screaming Trees. Screaming that's Trees. It's a band name, too. So, oh, that's funny. 
but the forest literally the trees scream at you like that's oh. fucking weird yeah i would not want to go i mean i've been reading so much about this place i'm like oh my gosh road trip here but i'm like i don't know i don't know if i want to like go in this forest where you know there was murder and kitty rape and the trees scream at you and there's just go to the outside of it just hear the trees and then and then leave bring the re- bring your recorder <laughs> and then there's this ledge and uh puck wedgies like you know try and trick you you know control your mind and will you to like throw yourself off the edge of it like mm, well, I don't just know. don't go up there just to go to the edge of the forest and bring, <laughs> bring a recorder and like pull it out catch the screaming the, the sound of the trees screaming and then you know go back to your hotel or airbnb or whatever and carry uh, on i don't know i don't know so that was posted may 26 2007 and now there is one more post from a local that i i found interesting and this person's username was park ranger kyle and he posted this comment november 3rd 2019 he said i have been a seasoned hiker slash hunter in the freetown state forest area for about 15 years now i've seen everything the forest has had to offer Back in the early 2000s, me and a few college buddies of mine were doing a day hike of the forest and it was extremely easy easy to get lost because of the poorly marked trails, not to mention all of the extra unmarked trails that are everywhere but not on the trail map. I've seen some weird looking animals in those woods and that I've never seen before and heard the forest literally scream at me. So fucking crazy. So this the author of the blog and then two separate people that live around that area mentioned the forest screaming. They're like, oh, no, no, it screams. It literally screams. I've seen weird shadows inside of the woods where the tree's canopy is so thick, no light is allowed in. Found arrowheads, but I've also found some really cool looking rocks. Guy likes rocks. Hey, who doesn't? <laughs> The forest has its history, not really in faith and religion. However, the area there has had some type of energy. Weirdest thing I ever saw was a possum gutted and nailed to an old elm tree near the Copacut Reservoir at the southern edge of the forest. Ugh. That's pretty weird, but I could see some fucked up person just doing that. Yeah, yeah. And you have to be fucked up to kill possum because, you know... To kill any kind of just animal. Well, any like animal, but you know what? Possum are actually, like, really helpful. Yeah. They, they ticks. Yeah, they eat lots of ticks. Lots and lots of them. And they don't carry rabies. And, yeah, they're just, like, you know, they're kind of ugly looking, but they're actually... They're cute as fuck. Yeah. They're funny little hands that are, like, kind of, like... It's just mostly, like, they're snouting their teeth that are kind of, like, Ugh. but I love yeah. their little hands. They're little, like, naked hands. And they're, like, so... They're, like, they're like uh, all fingers, but they have, like, a middle finger that's centered and then two fingers off sides. Mm-hmm. Something weird like that. Maybe it's, like, six fingers. Funny little... Funny little hands. Yeah, and they're really cute when they're babies, too. We had a little baby possum last year, like, in the springtime. Yeah. We named it Pickle, and it would come and, like, that. eat the cat food. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would come and eat the, the cat food for the outdoor cat, but we would always just put out extra because, like, Pickle was so cute. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Adorable. Adorable. But yeah, it's like, come on. Don't kill innocent animals just for fun. 
anyways because that's fucked up shit. But I mean, if you're gonna eat them, sure. But if you're just gonna right. nail them to a tree, that's just fucking. That's just, just not cool. That's just bullshit. That's not cool. Not a good thing to do. No, no, I am. I'm against that. Park Ranger Kyle goes on to say he'd never been so disappointed in the human race that at that point, I, I feel you, Park Ranger Kyle. I actually removed and buried the poor creature. Second weirdest thing was an old abandoned ranger st station deep in the forest Baker Dam path with a whole bunch of satanic graffiti all over it. Now, I've seen images of this in the Bridgewater Triangle documentary. Yeah. Yeah, so they, they did show some pictures of the, the abandoned ranger station with satanic graffiti all over it. But, you know, I mean, I again attribute that to um, teenagers just being like, oh, I'm going to do a pentagram. <laughs> I know, yeah, right? I, I mean, mean, that's that's what I see in my head. Like, I see some kid like cross. me, you know, yeah. and like and like my friends from high school. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's do an upside down cross. Oh, here's that pentagram. They'll really make those Jesus freaks, you know, lose yeah, their I shit. Mean, just like go look at a yeah. fucking Marilyn Manson record and copy shit from that on there. And right. Be like, Here we go. Uh huh. And um, I find that much less disturbing than actually deciding to like kill an animal and nail it to a tree. Yeah, definitely. Right. Definitely. Right. Although, I mean. It's not 100% that, that whoever nailed it to the tree, it killed the possum. I say this only because I had this, like, one roommate where a cat that I had killed a flying squirrel, like, killed it dead. A flying squirrel, which you never see those. Right. But there it was. Like, it was, like, square and everything, you know? Yeah, because, like, that's a fucking you know, flying squirrel. Yeah. And he was just like, oh, this is so fucking cool that he went and, like, nailed it to a tree, like, spread out. That's fucking um, weird. It was weird, but I mean, it was already dead, so oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, maybe not being super respectful, but and I wasn't. Really I wasn't gonna have it. a funeral for the fucking flying squirrel, like right, right. Yeah, so you know, he he. It wouldn't be something I would have done myself, but the fact no, that he did no. it, I mean, not. It was weird, but it like wasn't a deal breaker. Yeah, not disturbing. Yeah, yeah. weird. Just just weird. Just regular weird. Yeah. <laughs> Regular weirdness. And, yeah, and then definitely the, the spray-painted graffiti. Like, that's... I don't know. <laughs> I'm not all like, that bothered oh, by that. Like, oh, it's so scary. Uh -huh. Like, oh, God, better so get out of here. Got a, got a pentagram? <laughs> oh, upside-down cross is fucking scary. He wraps up with saying, I still go hiking occasionally or walk my dog in a state forest. And I don't ever feel threatened or afraid by spirits in quotation marks however i do come across some sketchy characters every once in a while and that makes me realize the biggest threat in those woods are other people well, probably yeah. true <laughs> very true unless it's a fucking puck wedgie because apparently they can make you throw yourself off the cliff there so you hear over and over again <laughs> from like all kinds of people that like when they go out they're like yeah we carry a gun and you know, they carry like a sidearm and they're like, yeah, it's not because we're afraid of animals. It's because you don't know what someone else is going to do out here. It's just like, man, humans are a fucked up species that all oh, it yeah. takes is just a little bit of solitude. And, you know, you know, being out 10 miles and you can't trust anybody. Like, okay, right. that's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, you know, we're, we're very predatory as humans. That's true. That's true. Now, the next place I am going to talk about is the Lizzie Borden house. 
All right. Right, which we just briefly touched on when we were talking about all the goings on in, in Fall River. We basically just mentioned it. Just mentioned it, that, just because she it. happened to live in the same town as all the, the weird, um, you know, murdery things happen, as, you know, happen in many towns. But Yeah. <laughs> just to recap on the Lizzie Borden case. So on August 4th, 1892, Andrew Borden and his wife, Abby Borden, were murdered with a hatchet and both received multiple hatchet blows to the head was the, you know, cause of death. Yeah. Metal and head. Yeah. That'll do it. <gasps> yep. Every um, damn time. Mm-hmm. About, about 30 blows uh, to the head. So quite, quite a violent... I mean, yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't just like a really quick little like, hatchet to the head and then drop dead type of sitch but more of a like probably a panicky kind of sort of scenario right overkill i think would be inappropriate yeah. a, little, a little bit a little bit overkill word bit to overkill. use to describe the situation i'd say so <laughs> andrew's daughter uh abby was the stepmother to lizzie borden and lizzie was in her 30s at the time and still lived at home and it was andrew's daughter and abby's stepdaughter and she was the one who was accused of murder her sister also lived with her in the home also like a spinster but she was out of town at the time so Ugh. Suspicion fell upon Lizzie, and she was charged and brought to trial, but in 1893, she was acquitted. And the only reason she was acquitted was, you know, lack of evidence, I suppose. Um, I guess she wasn't, like, covered in blood at the time, although she could have just, like, changed. And I think she was the one who had alerted, or the maid had alerted about people being <sighs> murdered, the, the parents being murdered, so... I don't know. It, it probably didn't take a whole lot to, um, you know, get away with it. <laughs> right. They <laughs> were like, oh, well, you know. It's not like there's, like, DNA and you got to worry about, like, some tiny, like, skin cell or speck or of blood. Or camera or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, giving you, giving you away. It's like, okay, wipe it down, get rid of the thing, change clothes, and you're, that's pretty much mean. it i don't know that and the fact that she was uh, a spinster in her 30s and it, it i mean white privilege is basically what yeah. got yeah. lizzie acquitted the jury could just couldn't believe that you know someone uh they had lots of money they were very wealthy there's no way a woman of that breeding could do a crime yes like exactly that. that's just unheard of that is unheard of, and without like some someone else like not of her uh, stature or her uh, wealth status to blame, um, she was acquitted, yeah, like, and oh, no well. one was ever formally, um, you know, charged, charged and found guilty of the murders. The case is, you know, technically still open, but uh, I'll say not <laughs> open, but uh, unsolved to this yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. Well, the house that she did all the murdering in is still around to this day and is now operated as a bed and breakfast. And it has been basically restored to almost exactly how it would have been back in 1892 when the murders were committed. Wow. And people can come and do ghost tours and they can also spend the night. And obviously there's more than a few people who report paranormal activity occurring in the house. It's been featured <laughs> yeah. on many like ghost hunting shows. Yeah. 
all kinds yeah, of a, stuff. It's a popular place in the... It's a very popular place. In the scene. So some of the activity reported uh, is doors opening and closing on their own. Uh, mysterious floral scent permeates the air at times. Sometimes it's full-bodied apparitions and physical contact, including um, punches. <laughs> wow. Being shoved and pushed down the stairs. That's not good. You don't mm -hmm. want anything pushing down the stairs. That's just like, that's not great. No, no. You can, you can get really hurt falling yeah. down the stairs. <laughs> that's not good. People also claim a face is visible in the basement wall of the house. Now there is a picture of that. You can, you can find the, the basement face. And, yeah, I see the face in it. And uh, weirdly enough, it looks like Michael Myers. Oh, really? <laughs> like with his, like, creepy mask and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah which, is, which is a mask of uh, uh, Captain Kirk. Yes, yes, with, like, the, the eye parts cut out. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so and the spray painted, I believe. But, yeah, yeah, it does look... There's a resemblance, I would say, in my opinion. I see the face, and it, and it looks to be the masked face face of michael myers it probably was michael myers <laughs> that really makes the most sense yeah people who have experienced the paranormal activity say there are several different ghosts that haunt the lizzie borden house which would be abby and andrew the murdered victims the mother and father the mother the stepmother and father stepmother and the, and the, and mm -hmm. the biological father and Lizzie, although Lizzie stayed in the town of Fall River following her acquittal until she died. Like, she, just, she just kept living there. She just kept living there, even though a lot, even though she had been acquitted, you know, how people talk. Like, I mean, she I guess was basically like do? ostracized and everyone just whispered about her. But she moved into a different house afterwards. She did not live at. Didn't live in the murder house. She didn't live in the murder house anymore. But she lived really close by. Huh. But that's, the murder house isn't where she died. So apparently, um, Maplecroft, the house that she got afterwards in town, that's supposed to be haunted too. So I guess she just kind of spends her time between houses. Yeah, I mean, like sometimes we... she's sometimes she's haunting the murder house. Sometimes the house that she actually lived the rest of her life and died in, Maplecroft. I'd say when you're dead, you're. Schedule probably is pretty wide open, so you've got time to <laughs> go between, you know, pranking people here to pranking people there. People also claim that the spirits of two murdered children also haunt the house. You can hear children's laughter. It's speculated that it is two children murdered by their mother who are... Who <laughs> lived next door and were actually related to Lizzie oh, wow. Borden distantly. Now, this was like a whole separate murder. So it would be the children of Lizzie Borden's great uncle. So a little bit removed. Yeah, a little bit removed. So Lodwick Boren had a wife named Eliza, <laughs> oddly enough. And this huh. was his second wife. He was married like a total of four times. And his second wife... Eliza, it, she, they had three children really close together, and this was back in, like, 1848, so good, like, you know, 40-odd years before 
so it was before Liz, Lizzie was even born, and yeah, yeah, forty something years before she would take an axe, to, you know, allegedly, supposedly, to her parents' head. Yeah, possibly, maybe. <laughs> possibly, maybe. Well, she dropped two of her three children down the cellar cistern. Like, I'm not. Oh God. Yeah, and and then she took. Her husband's straight razor that he like used for his face, and she slit her own throat. Damn! So she killed two of her three children, and then killed herself. Not just killed herself, but cut her throat. Yeah, like, I mean that's, that's a fucking that's hardcore. Yeah, that's a that's a way to do it. I mean that's that's something else. I don't think I could do it. No, I don't think so either. No, that takes a lot. I could slit my wrists. But not really. I mean, but I like before throat, sure. Yeah. But even so, you're like, ow, no. Yeah, right. Did like slice deep <sighs> enough to actually like nah. sever your your artery? Yeah. That's I don't. Yeah. It takes a lot. It takes a lot. And dude, doing it on your own throat with a straight razor, like, oh gosh. Yeah, although it's sharp as fuck. So it is sharp as fuck, but still. Nevertheless, it's not for me. No, it's not for me. Definitely not. Definitely not. So, yeah, probably obviously had some, you know, pretty bad mental health issues going on there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so uh, it was 1848, and right next door to the house that Lizzie would be born and live in all of and her life, up, in, yeah, <laughs> up until the death of her stepmother and father and her acquittal for the murder charges brought against her for it. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you want to go there, um, it, the house is owned and operated by U.S. Ghost Adventures, so you can just look <laughs> them up online, and you can nice. book to stay there overnight, or you can just take a tour of the house. Many different options out of there. Uh, there's a lot of people saying, you know, they like tour guides, um, people operating the bed and breakfast have said that they've spent a lot of time with nothing happening, but also there's been many accounts of people going there and being like, I am never fucking coming back here again. <laughs> like shit <laughs> Going to check out scared shitless. Yeah. So be a fun thing to do if you are in the Fall City area. Yeah, find yourself in the Northeast. <laughs> or you could bring a friend. Yeah. That's true. Well, I'm going to talk about one last haunted area. Got a whole, you know, haunted forest, haunted house. How about a haunted former insane asylum? Oh, yeah, that sounds like yeah. a good thing. Got the whole trifecta. Place. Yeah. That would be Taunton State Hospital. It began housing... Mentally ill patients back in 1854, and it was in operation for like over a hundred years, I think. Of course, there was all the typical, um, lovely going ons at you know what, what you would basically expect to be medical torture, yeah, mm -hmm. like yeah, that. electric shock therapy, the you know, the hot and the cold submersion in the water, probably a lot of sexual assault. All I'm kinds sure, of shit. I'm sure, just whatever happened in those places when there was basically like uh, no patient rights and regulations, and... yeah, no oversight, mm hmm, yeah, as you can imagine. Not the happiest place on earth. No, no. Not so much a place of healing. 
No. So, you know, prefrontal lobotomies were also like a thing. Yeah. While they were a thing. As you can imagine, probably a lot of people died in that insane asylum and probably some of them like really terrible, awful deaths. So it tends to be a pretty haunted place. I feel like any insane asylum that operated during those times. Yeah. Probably if anyone's if any place is going to be haunted, it's going to be a place like that. Yes, there were some interesting patients there too. One of them was a man named Anthony Santo, who apparently suffered um, some sort of um, mental after effect from having scarlet fever, or at least oh. that's what they thought. Yeah. And he confessed to murdering two of his cousins, who were like 12 and 18, and also a six-year-old girl. What's interesting is I was reading a little bit more about the case, and how he was captured by the police was that he was stealing a bike. He was caught stealing a bike. And this six-year-old girl, Louise Stalla, had actually been murdered. It was May 1908. She was found behind her house, and she had been, like, stoned to death, basically. There was ten big, like, fist-sized rocks found next to her body. A little ways away, this guy Anthony gets arrested for trying to steal a bike. And at that time, he also admits to killing the little girl. He just said that he couldn't, he saw her, and just something overtook him, and he couldn't help but to just stoner yeah exactly and then when he was confessing to that he was like oh by the way i also killed my two cousins back (laughs) in brooklyn (laughs) like three months ago i've been on the run ever since and that's why i was stealing the bicycle i'm just going on this murder spree but when police tried to investigate the uh murder of the cousins they couldn't find anyone living in the address that he gave by that name and no reports of any uh you know like young and teenage boys being um you know missing no missing persons reports yeah. and no you know bodies matching like their age and so they they're wondering if maybe he made it all up and they really didn't couldn't tie him to the little girl's murder he could have just read about it but whether or not he actually killed her or killed her and his cousins that no one could locate or made it all up they determined that he was you know, just needed to get locked up in an insane asylum for <laughs> for forever. Either way, you're crazy. Yeah. We're locking yeah. you up. And that's where he rela- remained the, the rest of his life. And there was, like, no record of his death. So who knows? Yeah. That's how that occurred. But just just one of many, I'm sure. That oh, just, yeah. yeah. I'm just, sure it's not an uncommon story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then one other person... At the insane asylum, which I thought was interesting to say the least. I think I'm going to do a bonus episode, a true crime episode, because I started reading and and it's just way too long to get into now. Right. But this gal had, oh my God, she was just batshit crazy. And it's just insane. The whole thing was just a crazy, uh, it was crazy to read. (laughs) Just like, holy shit. Holy fuck. Just went on and on and on. But in a nutshell, Jolly Jane Toppin 
She was a nurse who confessed to killing at least 31, but perhaps as many as 100 people. This would mostly be patients, but she also killed people that, like, she lived with and, you know, that she rented from. Like, she, she she did it for convenience. Like, the patients, apparently she would just, you know, give them, like, shit tons of drugs to kill them she would poison them and as they were dying your nurse mm -hmm. as they were dying she would climb into bed with them and cuddle and um hug and kiss them because she like got off on them dying wow super creepy and i don't know if she yeah (laughs) (laughs) it is really creepy and in addition to countless patients that she uh, killed like that, she, it, her landlord, her foster sister, this entire family, four members of a family she was originally renting a house from, and then she, like, kills the younger Fucking members and then moves in, moves into the big house to take care of, like, the elderly member that's left before finally dispatching with that person. It's crazy. Well, she finally, uh, her crimes were finally caught up to her, and, like, I, you know, who knows how long this went on. <laughs> Because right. it was a long time ago, and, it, you know, she was a People nurse. People didn't get caught very easily back then. Yeah. Uh, she was convicted and found not guilty by reason of insanity oh, of all okay. these murders. It was 1901, but she did spend the rest of her life at Taunton State Hospital, and she died there oh, August yeah, August 17th, 1938 is when she died at the wow, asylum. Wow, so she was there for a long time. Yeah, she was there for a long fucking time. And probably not having a good time. Yeah, and some attendants remembered... Uh, her when she stayed there and they said that she would um call them into her room and say get some morphine dearie and we'll go out in the ward you and i will have a ton of fun seeing them die wow so even when she was locked up in the insane asylum she was always trying to like you know cheerfully murder people yeah get the uh the orderlies to, to come. It's like, come on, let's go c- commit some murder together. It'll be fun. It'll be good times. Well, then uh, we can look forward to that as a true crime episode. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, she was right. like disappointed. Like, yeah, you know, she's like, if only I had access to the drugs here besides the ones they give me. Like, I right, would have right. a field day as a nurse in this hospital. Yeah. <laughs> Never get caught. So in addition to maybe these two guys and their and their spirits still roam the hospital, there's also been reports of a man in white who appears on the third floor. So I don't know, maybe an orderly. An elderly man walks the grass outside of the state hospital and banging screams and moans can be heard from the woods behind the hospital but i'm like i don't know i guess the woods out there just do that shit so that might not necessarily be ghosts yeah (laughs) now the hospital has long since been shut down but you uh the grounds are still uh, you can you can visit them to this day down in taunton so lovely yeah, no, another <laughs> another fun place to visit out there. Definitely. <laughs> well, I think that wraps it about up. So we'd like to thank you all very much for listening to the show and uh, tune in next time to hear 
I think the wrap up of uh, the Bridgewater Triangle saga. It will be the wrap up. I'm going to talk about a couple other hauntings and some really deep dark history and a couple of ideas as like why the fuck does all this shit go on here? A couple of theories on that. All right. Well then uh, so catch us next time to hear all of that and you can find us in any social media place we're at at stranger than or stranger than podcast. We don't social media that much, so you know, you know, don't get all pissed off at us or something. Right. If you'd like to send us a story about any sort of strange, paranormal, wacky happening, uh, send it to strangerthanpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to read your stories uh, on the air. You can also check out the podcast syndicate we're a part of, ageofradio.org. You can find us there at ageofradio.org slash stranger than where you can stream our shows. You can join our Patreon, patreon.com slash strangerthanpodcast, where for $1 a month, you get a crisp high five if you ever see us. For $2 a month, you get ad-free episodes, like regular episodes. And for $5 a month, you get the bonus true crime episode, which next time will be about the Bridgewater Triangle. Yes, it'll be about our our good uh, nurse friend, Jolly Jane. Yeah. Yeah. And so with that, we will talk to you next time. And stay strange. <laughs>